This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. This week is Parshat Toldot, and uh, we're going to turn our attention to the next of the Avot, to Yitzchak. And when we approach Yitzchak, uh, we find ourselves in a problematic place. Yitzchak is possibly the least uh, likable, the least attractive of our Avot. Uh, maybe our enduring image of Yitzchak is uh, the scene of the Brachot in which he is old, cannot see very well, um, and he is manipulated by the people around him. Not a particularly strident image for one of our Avot. And when we think about Yitzchak, after all, Yitzchak has uh, less coverage, if we can talk about that, Less coverage than the other Avot. There are plenty of beautiful stories about Avraham, uh, many dramatic stories about Yaakov, but Yitzchak has very few stories. And the stories which we do uh, read about Yitzchak, Yitzchak seems to be embodied by a certain passivity, a certain reclusive nature, uh, maybe comes over a little bit as a submissive character. Let me try and explain. If we if we try and go through Yitzchak's life, there are a number of episodes. We can really count them up quite easily in about six or seven scenes. The first is Yitzchak's birth. Uh, after that, we have the story of the Akedah. Interestingly, Yitzchak is absent for the burial of his mother, Sarah. We then have the story of finding a wife for uh, Yitzchak and his meeting with his wife, Rivka, he marries her. Uh, that's the third story. We have the birth of his children, the fourth story. Chapter 26, the story of Avimelech and the wells. And then, pretty much the last story is the epi- episode of the Brachot. Um, if we follow these stories through, we will see that predominantly, Yitzchak certainly is a passive, secondary maybe a sort of uh, a, a docile character. Of course, in the story of his birth, we can't expect him to do much. Everybody is delighted and celebrates, but uh, he's just been born. We can't expect him to be a major player. In the Akhidah, there is no doubt that the focus is on Avraham and that Yitzchak is acted upon, uh, as we said, a secondary character, um, rather than being an actor. Um, he doesn't have uh, the same presence of Abraham in the Akedah. The story of finding a wife for Yitzchak, which is the next story, uh, really illustrates Yitzchak's absence in a very, very clear way. Many of the literary scholars who have looked at Tanakh have noted that certain uh, stories appear throughout Tanakh and form a, a certain pattern or there are certain form stories uh, which we can follow. And uh, one of these would be the, 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 the classic story of people who find their wife by the side of the well, the well being the central square of the, of the village where all the activity goes on. Uh, this is the shopping mall, this is the village square, uh, the, the well side. Well, there are other people who find their wives by the well, and two that we know very well, from uh, other places in Tanakh. Who am I thinking of? Of course, it's Yaakov uh, and Moshe. 
And if you think of those stories, uh, they're very similar. In the story of Yaakov, we have a, a, a man who has left his family, who has left his uh, people, he's actually running from the law, and he appears uh, in a new place, and uh, he, he stands by the well side, and he engages in, he engages in an act of strength, of chivalry, and then uh, waters all the different flocks who are there. That's the story of Yaakov. There is the chesed of watering the flocks, but there is this uh, activity, Yaakov's uh, heroic um, thrusting of the stone from the well, and of course there is the wonderful meeting with Rachel, uh, where they fall in love. Uh, similarly, Moshe. Moshe also, running from the law in in um, in Egypt, runs to Midian, finds himself by the well. There is again a problem by the well. Um, the There are various young men who seem to be taunting or harassing the daughters of Yitro. And again, Moshe exhibits a certain uh, macho activity. I don't know how exactly he does it, but he gets rid of these... Uh, um, these boys, these men who are causing trouble and saves the the daughters of Kohen Midian and uh, gives them water to their flocks, again showing a certain sense of kindness. This bothers him, um, his chivalry, and again he makes the initial kesher with Tzipora there by the wellside he has found his wife. Well, the third story is clearly where what we read in last week's parasha, where the Eved also travels far away from his home base, all the way to Aram Naharayim, to find a wife for Yitzchak. Uh, however, this story has certain problems with it. Of course, number one is that the bridegroom is absent. Uh, he is back in the Negev, in Eretz HaNegev, Lasuach um, Basadeh, we don't know what that exactly means, but possibly meditating in the field, davening, or maybe there are other explanations. However, the Chatan is not there. And uh, if we look at the story and we take this form story, um, who actually waters the, the animals? It is, of course, Rivka. Rivka, um, in the psukim there, there are over, over ten verbs which indicate activity, a bundle of, 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 of actions, of chesed, a flurry of activity which characterize Rivka. Rivka is actually the active one. She is in the role of the bridegroom here. And uh, what about uh, Yitzchak? Why he? Why is he in this passive role? What is it about Yitzchak which uh, seems to indicate that? And certainly we have seem to be painting here a rather dismal, pathetic, unlikable, as I said in my initial comments, unlikable image of Yitzchak. I should say that this isn't the whole picture. Because, of course, there are two uh, images in which Yitzchak certainly is active. Uh, one is certainly poignant. It comes at the beginning of our parasha. According to Chazal, we're talking here about the fact that Yitzchak appeals to Hashem. He doubles to Hashem for his wife because she cannot have children. And Hashem responds to him and Rivka becomes pregnant, and this is, um, we don't know when exactly Yitzchak started davening, but it took 20 years into their marriage before they were able to have children. 
I mention this because, of course, Yitzhak here is, is active by praying, by imploring God. But uh, fascinatingly, we don't see Avraham ever davening for Sarah to have children. And we don't see Yaakov daven for his wives to have children. Uh, Avraham prays for Sodom, but he, we don't ever witness him praying for Sarah to have, be able to conceive. And in the famous uh, scene, which we see in next week's parsha, when Rachel, a desperate Rachel, turns to Yaakov and says to him, um, give me children or else I'm going to die. Um, Yaakov has a very, very strong negative reaction to this and he rejects her. It says here, Yaakov gets angry with her and says, Am I instead of God? And later on, when God does give her children, it says, Rashi says, Rachel davened for herself. None of the Avot davened for their wives, but Yitzchak does. Yitzchak gets up there, he understands that need, and he acts in that way. Okay, one point for Yitzchak. If we're looking for an active Yitzchak, we will find him in chapter 26. Uh, Peret Chavav, uh, which is the major chapter dedicated to the life of Yitzchak. But I have to say that even when we look at this chapter, we might find a certain sense of disappointment as to the role of Yitzchak. And let me try and elaborate as to why that, that is the case. This is the story where God actually talks to Yitzchak and reinforces the promises that he is the next of the legacy, the next of the line, that the covenant will go through him. This is the story in which Yitzchak uh, finds himself with Avimelech in Grar and says that Rivka is his sister and not his wife, and then is found out. And this is where Yitzchak struggles against Avimelech with the question of the wells. But um, throughout the chapter, there is a problem. First of all, um, everything in the chapter seems to reference Avraham. Uh, this applies to the storyline. In other words, the story begins by There was a famine, other than the famine which was in Avraham's time. Avraham is the reference point. And it says, And Yitzchak went down to Avimelech to Gerar. Don't go down to Egypt. In other words, who said that Yitzchak, it says Yitzchak is going to Gerar, not that he is going to Egypt. Oh, but we all recall that Avram went to Egypt. So God is expecting Yitzchak to do the things that Avraham does. So we have the famine and the desire to leave the country, just like Avraham. We then talk about the story with Avimelech and Rivka, where he says, Achotihi, just like Avraham. Later on, we see Yitzchak digging wells, and it says that he, Pasuk Yudchet, he digs the wells which were dug during Avraham's time. And later on we see Yitzchak make a covenant with Avimelech, just like his father had done earlier. And remarkably, just like Avraham had called, made a covenant and called the name of the city in which the covenant took place, Be'er Sheva, we find here too in chapter 26, Verse 33, uh, He also names it Be'er Sheva. 
In other words, we see Yitzchak very reminiscent, eerily reflective of the narrative of Abraham. However, I would say the problem goes even deeper. When God talks to Yitzchak and promises him the land, what does he say? He says, Live in this land, I will be with you. I will give you all these lands. I will keep the covenant, or I will keep the promise which I did to Abraham. Later on, he says, All your seed will be blessed, all your offspring will be blessed. Why? Because Abraham listened to my voice. It doesn't say, because you, Yitzchak, listened to my voice. It says, because Abraham obeyed my instructions, he kept my mitzvot, etc. In other words, Yitzchak is going to be blessed because of Abraham. And if lest you think that this is the only time there, I just quoted Pasuk, uh, hey, you see it again later on in the parasha, where God, in Pasuk Chavdalad, Perak Chavav, Pasuk Chavdalad, Hashem, God appeared to Yitzchak, Balayla Ahu, that night and says, Anochi Elohe Avraham Abicha, I am the God of Abraham. I am with you. I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring. Because of Abraham, my servant. Is Yitzchak being overlooked here? Maybe I'll say something which uh, appears in Rashi, but it is it is jarring in this regard. Um, the opening pasuk of the parsha. These are the generations of these. This is the legacy of Yitzchak, the son of Abraham. Abraham holidet Yitzchak. Again, Yitzchak is referenced by Abraham, and it repeats, Abraham gave birth to Yitzchak. What does this mean? Rashi says that Abraham and Yitzchak looked identical. Hashem made it that Yitzchak's face would resemble that of Abraham, and people could clearly see that Yitzchak was Avraham's son. He was a carbon copy. Indeed, it seems like Yitzchak is a carbon copy. And one wonders which or, or what virtues Yitzchak has on his own right. What, what is, you know, we have three avot, and each av is meant to represent something. If Yitzchak is just a carbon copy of Avraham, what does he represent? He seems exceptionally passive in so many of the stories acquiescing to reality, uh, somewhat docile, um, inactive. And when we see him active, his activity seems a mere extension <clears throat> of Avraham Avinu. And we wonder what he has to offer here, uh, what, he can, what he can give us. So I'd like to try and address this problem uh, with reference to two, two approaches. And the first approach I will bring in the name of uh, Rav Adin Steinsaltz, um, who actually uh, this week is celebrating uh, the completion of the Shas, the completion of his uh, co- monumental commentary on on uh, the Talmud, So Mazal Tov to Rav Steinsaltz. This piece you will find in his book, Biblical Images, um, which is a, a, a book on various personalities in Tanakh. And uh, this is from the article about Yitzchak. And let me try and explain the way Rosh Steinsaltz describes and characterizes Yitzchak. 
he says that indeed, and he reflects this idea that Yitzchak seems to be phenomenally passive, and also that Yitzchak seems to reflect Avraham. But why should this be? And I will quote a short passage here. Rosh says, It is known that the sons of great fathers, talented and significant as they may be in their own right, have to contend with parental glory and from the beginning feel themselves as inadequate, burdened with lesser or greater degrees of helplessness. This apparently, you know, I'm skipping, this apparently was Isaac's central problem, to find his own place in a world dominated by the genius of his father. He did the only thing left for him to do. He carried on. And the task of the successor has always been one of the most unrewarding of all the tasks in history. It has often been said that all beginnings are difficult, but continuation can be even more difficult. The capacity to persist is no less important than the power to begin. In all the significant revolutions of history, it is evident that the first generation, the founding fathers, usually have to struggle against formidable objective forces. But the verdict of history, whether it was a glorious victory or merely a passing episode, lies with their successors, the generation who have to fix and stabilize the revolution. Um, one does not ascribe to the second generation the same glorious qualities that capture the imagination. The son's task is to hold steady and not to create. Or, as the Bible story puts it, they have to dig again the wells that the fathers dug before them and that they have become blocked up. This is Ruf Steinsaltz's explanation, and I think it, it's a wonderful one. What Ruf Steinsaltz is saying is that Avram is a revolutionary. Avram comes along and founds a new religion, founds a new way. He starts getting promises that no one has ever received from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But if somebody makes a revolution, if somebody creates a new way, but then his son makes yet a new way, and his son casts a new direction, then there will be no tradition. In order for Avram's revolution to truly be a revolution, people must be able to walk in Avraham's path. People must be able to continue in his way. And this is indeed the role of Yitzchak. Yitzchak has the, this uh, very difficult role sometimes of being the continuation. And let's say uh, Rosh Steinsatz goes even further and says, and therefore he is, um, he is somehow incarcerated in this role. He is uh, captured by this role in such a way that he cannot exhibit his independence. And Rosh Steinsatz makes an unbelievable statement where he says, Yitzchak's a strange and unexpected love for Esav is a reflection of this. In Esav, he saw the wild person who was independent, who was able to run free. And this is exactly the role that Yitzchak had been denied. Why had he been denied this? Because he had to be in a holding pattern. Yitzchak symbolizes, if Avram symbolizes Chesed, Yitzchak symbolizes Gvura. And we all know, Ezehu Gibor HaKoveshet who is mighty, he who um, holds Koveshet can hold his passions. In other words, he has to be in a situation where he controls himself, where he holds back. Yitzchak certainly does play this this role, and um, in this regard, his passivity is endemic to exactly what he's meant to be. Yitzchak has to be the second generation. He has to continue everything that Abraham does, and this 
backs everything that was said. Yitzchak looking exactly like Abraham, Yitzchak being a carbon copy of Abraham, that is what he's meant to be. For many years I studied Rosh Steinsaltz's explanation and I taught it, and yet I think I felt a certain sense of uh, unease, because it is true that Yitzchak can copy Abraham, but it still really doesn't give him his own independence. It doesn't give him some new contribution. Uh, again, Rosh Steinsaltz's theory is that that's exactly the difficult position that Yitzchak has, and maybe that is his heroic quality. However, uh, in my study of Parshat Toldot, I think I can identify an added dimension which Avraham does not have. And at the very least, I'd like to pick Yitzchak in a less pallid uh, light than we have so far, in a less passive light, and try and see Yitzchak as actually a very, uh, an amazingly heroic character and a very, very colourful person indeed. In order to do this, I think what we're going to do is turn back to Peret Chafav. And I'd like to read with you a few lines and a few pesukim, um, starting from Pasuk Yudbet. Because here we're going to discover Yitzchak the farmer. Yitzchak the person who farms the very difficult terrain of the Negev desert. Um, the northern Negev, the area around Beersheva of Grar. And managed to do this with huge success. Let's read a few Pesukim, Pasuk Yudbet. Vayizra Yitzchak ba'aretzahi. Yitzchak sowed the land. Vayim sabashanahi me'asha'arim. And that year, his produce, his yield from his agriculture was a hundredfold. Me'asha'arim, in other words, for every grain he put in the, into the earth, he received a hundred back. That's quite a profit. Vayavarachayu Hashem. God blessed him. And the man grew. And he continued to grow. Until he was exceptionally wealthy. He's wealthy, but it also gadal probably means his reputation spreads wide and far. We don't know what else gadal indicates. Suddenly now he has sheep and he has cattle. And many slaves. And the result of this is, So first of all, Yitzchak, uh, we shouldn't imagine as the homeboy who stays at home and doesn't really do anything, the recluse. Yitzchak is out there with his, uh, you know, sabra moustache, with his uh, desert suntan, tilling the ground, him and obviously his team of workers, and he is an incredibly successful farmer. Now I wanted to say something about this uh, role of Yitzchak as the farmer. As I said before, my belief is that each of the Avot represents some sort of archetype. And uh, Rav Mordechai Breuer writes in one of his articles that in fact, regarding Eretz Yisrael, each of the Avot um, have a unique place. Avraham represents the Ole. He is the person who makes Aliyah. He is born and raised um, over, uh, abroad. Uh, in Chutz Laaretz, in Aram. And then, at a certain point, he is summoned by God and comes to the land of Israel and, and, and lives there. Uh, Yaakov represents uh, a different type. Yaakov is the person who is born in Israel and then leaves. He leaves because of all sorts of problems which are plaguing him in the land of Israel and goes into an exile of sorts and then comes back. And in fact, it's interesting that Yaakov goes into exile twice and each time comes back. The first time he goes to Padan Aram to escape a south and to find a wife. 
and returns. And then he has to leave again uh, because of the famine in the time of Yosef. And uh, quite sadly, only manages to return after his death. His his uh, dead body, his Aaron, comes back, brought by his sons to be buried in the Kever Machpelah. Yaakov represents the Jew who was born in Eretz Israel, goes into exile and returns. What does Yitzchak represent? So Yitzchak represents Eretz Israel. Yitzchak is the archetype. He represents the model of the person who lives all his life in Eretz Israel. And uh, Chazal talk about Yitzchak being an Olat Mima. He is so holy that he cannot leave. But I prefer to say something different. Because if we've got the model of Avraham the Oleh, who is born abroad and comes to Israel, Yaakov, who st- starts his life here, leaves and returns. But for a country to be a homeland, for a country to be viable, for a country to represent the dreams and the hopes, to represent a nation-state, there is one prerequisite. That people have to be able to live in this land from the moment they are born to the moment they die. If the land is really to be a homeland, it has to be a place that a person can live the entire span of their life in this country. And that is exactly what Yitzchak does. Yitzchak is the Av. He is our patriarch who represents Eretz Yisrael. And here we see um, Yitzchak's farming nature, I think, as rooting him deeper into the soil of Eretz Yisrael than any of his uh, any of the other Avot. Again, let's recall that Avraham is a is a is a shepherd, and as a shepherd he is a nomad. He moves from place to place. Likewise, Yaakov. Yaakov again is a shepherd. His sons work in shepherding. Uh, it is true, interestingly and ironically, that Yaakov gives a blessing to his children in this week. Uh, that, sorry, that Yitzchak gives a blessing to Yaakov of in this week's parsha. But I actually believe that you will have much grain and much grapes in it, a yield of wine. However, maybe Yitzchak is talking his own language, the language of the farmer, because Yaakov remains Yosheba Halim, and here Yosheba Halim means Ohel Mikneh, that uh, he is leading the flocks, that's what he does with Lavan. His children are also shepherds, he is also nomadic, and... Uh, when we see grain, wherever we see grain in the Yaakov story, it does not represent Yaakov's profession. When when Yosef sees grains in his dream, the grain is the grain of Egypt. It is not the grain of Eretz Israel. Yaakov is a nomadic shepherd. So is Avraham. But Yitzchak is a farmer. And being a farmer, he is stuck in the soil. He is unmovable. A farmer remains in place. Yitzchak is the Av of Eretz Israel, staying there from the moment he is born till the moment he is he dies, and that, hence his profession, his profession of um, being a farmer, roots him in the soil in a way that none of the other avot uh, are. And to maybe reinforce this image yet, yet further, let me take another point of, of contact between Avraham and Yitzchak and compare them and contrast them. We mentioned that both Avraham and Yitzchak both name Be'er Sheva. We'll come to that story in a minute. But why is it called Be'er Sheva? Well, if you look at Avraham, Avraham and Abimelech, it's in Perech of Aleph. Let's take a look at the story there, and we'll read the critical line. Avraham and Abimelech are making a, a, a covenant, and it says there, um, Be'at Sev Avraham, it's in Perech of Aleph, Pasuk Chavchet, 
Avraham takes seven sheep and puts them aside. And Avimelech says, what are those seven sheep which you have put aside? And he says, this will be a sign uh, about this uh, well that I have dug. And that is why they call the place Be'er Sheva. The seven of Be'er Sheva are actually seven sheep. However, with Yitzchak, the seven are not sheep at all. The seven are wells. They are wells which are dug deep into the soil, which plumb the subterranean depths of water, which runs even deeper than the soil. Um, wells are not movable. Uh, wells are, are dug so deep into the soil that, uh, you know, we're dealing with something exceptionally, exceptionally fixed, something which is, is, is far more primal. Uh, than these sheep. These sheep can be scattered. They can die. They are very temporal. The wells are really, are really dug in. They are permanent. They are, they are a fixture. Yitzchak's achievements are exactly that. It is Eretz Yisrael. His achievement is that very, very deep digging into the land. And the question is how he achieves that. Does he achieve it easily? Does he, how does he manage to do it? And here we enter into the great story of Yitzchak, which I think will will take any feelings that Yitzchak is a pushover, that Yitzchak is some sort of docile character away from our minds. Because here, let's read the story. As we mentioned, Yitzchak becomes exceptionally wealthy. Again, let me say that Yitzchak's wealth comes as a result of the work of his own hands. Avraham seems to have gained a lot of his wealth through uh, donations. Uh, he got uh, his wealth because of the mistake that happened with Pharaoh, and he leaves Egypt uh, with Avadim and Shvachot and Zono uh, Bakar, etc., etc. With Yaakov, he also makes a deal to do with his wives. But Yitzchak, he earns his money honestly, an honest farmer's day's pay, he sows his seed into the land, he produces Me'er Sha'arim a hundredfold, um, he produces his wealth on his own, by his own means, simply by working the land. And when he does become wealthy, this arouses the jealousy. And now we get the information, that all of the wells which Abraham had rightfully dug, and in fact had made a covenant about, the Plishtim had closed up. And Avimelech, um, at this point, tells Yitzchak, leave. I allowed you to stay before, but now that you've become so wealthy, I don't want you here. The jealousy is too much. Maybe it's looking bad on his own community. So Yitzchak goes away. He redigs Avraham's well so now he can subsist in the desert and he carries on and he doesn't stop there just by, we said before, he's a copy of Avraham. No, he doesn't stop just at Avraham. He digs another well. And what's interesting is he digs, digs another well or his servants do. And by Ermain Chayim, they find a, a, a water of Maim Chayim, which might even mean it's a spring, so he's not taking their water at all. And the shepherds of Grar fight with Yitzchak shepherds, saying, Lanu Hamayim, the water is ours, and what they call is, they call the first, um, well, Eshek, Eshek, controversy, an argument, a fight, that is the name of the first well. They find another Be'er, the second well is called 
hatred, enmity. Take me sham, and they move away from there. By Achbar Be'erachferet, the Lord Ravu Aleha, by Krashim or Chovot, they call this one wide expanses. Kihirchiv Hashem Lanu, this one is called generosity. Hashem has been wide to us; He has given us great expanses. He's given us everything we need. Ufarinu Ba'aretz, and we have been fruitful in the land. Yitzchak never gives up. Yitzchak keeps going with a phenomenal tenacity. He, they throw him out of Grar, he redigs Avram's wealth, he doesn't stop there, he digs another, and there's trouble. But he doesn't give up, he digs another. So the first time, it means controversy, argument. The second time, it gets worse than that, it is hatred. But by the third time, he can see the fruits of his labor. And by the time he comes to his the fourth well, which is the seventh one in total, three of Abraham, three of his, and now his seventh well, seven obviously always being a significant number in in, in Sefer Breshit Bichlal, uh, Sefer Breshit Bifrat and the Tanakh Bichlal, um, the seventh one, suddenly Avimelech, who had rejected him, comes running to him and says, I want to make peace with you. This tenacity, this fierce determination, is exactly maybe Yitzchak's Gvura, later on called Pachad Yitzchak. Yitzchak has this connection with the land, and he will not be moved, he will not be budged, he, he digs in. It actually reminds me of a famous story of uh, Shai Agnon. Many of you have probably know this story. It's called Me'oyev Lo'ohev. And it's a story about somebody who wants to go and settle in Talpiot. Um, Talpiot now is a district of Yerushalayim, but we all know that Talpiot is one of the names of Yerushalayim. Um, the Gemara in Brachot talks about Harabai, it's being called Talpiot. Tel Shekolpiot Ponim Elav. And uh, Shai Agnon, who writes in a very simple style, almost like it's a children's story, writes a very deep story about Talpiot. And he says uh, that I wanted to go and build myself a house in Talpiot. And he tells a story where a person tries the first time to build uh, a tent. Uh, but the wind comes and dries them out from there. It's almost built on the same model as uh, some of the children's uh, fables and uh, children's stories. And then he goes and builds a house of wood, but the wind dries him out. And then even a house of stone, and the wind dries him out of there until he realizes that he cannot remain in the city, which is where he returns all the time. And he has to build himself an even stronger house and resist the wind and find everything around him. By the way, I think the Nimshal of the story, the story of of Agnon, is not just about... uh, the three wells and the fourth, um, or three has the fourth. It's the first one is a tent, which represents the Mishkan, and the next two are the two Batei Migdash. And the sense is that if we can't live in the city because there is trouble in the city, in other words, you can't live in Europe, you have to come and build a house, and you have no choice, you have nowhere to go, um, you need to come back to Eretz Israel and rebuild Eretz Israel. Um, in a, in a, by the way, in that story of Shai Agnon, he also talks about the notion of planting, planting, setting one's roots deep, and the, the notion of trees, uh, again, maybe representing a sort of Zionist understanding that through agriculture, uh, we will be able to reclaim the land. And this is exactly uh, Yitzchak. Yitzchak understands the notion of chazakah, the notion that once you do something three times, it is already a fixture, and it is uncontestable. And his three wells establish him as a presence in that very harsh terrain of the Midbar, 
and now nobody is going to move him, nobody is going to contest his 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 uh, his living there, and in fact they come to him to make a covenant. And why do they come to make a covenant? Because they realize they cannot move him, so at the very least they should collaborate and cooperate with him, they should have some sort of treaty so that they can work with him. Yitzchak represents that after one time, two times, three times, by the fourth time, he is accepted by the, the, the locals, and uh, and this is where he remains, uh, in his beloved te- terrain of, of the Midbar. What I've tried to depict here is, as I say, um, not a Yitzchak who is, um, you know, sitting back and uh, with a sort of pale uh, colour and uh, weak a person who is manipulated. Here we see a different character of Yitzchak. He cannot be manipulated. He is strong. He's, uh, you know, muscles bulging. He is a, a, a farmer who knows exactly how to stand his own ground. And this ground is directed to uh, the work of uh, Eretz Yisrael and to uh, subsisting in, in the desert. Um, the desert obviously is a place which he, which he connects with um, very strongly. Um, there's much more to be said about this, but I think this image of Yitzchak will maybe uh, make us look differently at the character of Yitzchak in general. And certainly when we read the parasha of the uh, of the brachot, even when we read Yitzchak's preference to, uh, when he's looking at Yaakov and Esav, and he see, feels a certain affinity with Esav, who go out, goes out hunting, maybe we understand a bit more about this affinity when we view Yitzchak in this way. Uh, not just as an olat mima, but as a um, as a harsh desert farmer. And uh, when we think about the manipulation of Yitzchak after seeing this view of him here, uh, maybe we will uh, view it slightly differently with an understanding that Yitzchak isn't this uh, reclusive, uh, secondary character, um, a withdrawn person, but rather um, he is a tenacious fighter who knows exactly to stand his ground when he when he needs to, and this is exactly Yitzchak's contribution, um, the pachad Yitzchak, the gvurav Yitzchak, um, this tenacity, this fierce stand which he represents. Thank you very much, and Shabbat Shalom.